This day is not my favorite for a lot of different reasons, but I'm, I'm so excited what is in store for these four young men. And uh, I know Brother Dave's going to take good care of them, so they're in good hands. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to 1 Corinthians 12. And this morning in our time together, we're going to talk about the body of Christ, the importance of being in the body of Christ. In our time together, we're going to see that a life on mission in Christ is the only type of life worth truly living. See, a life on mission in Christ is the only life worth truly living. And Lord willing, we're all going to be a little convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit in this message. And if you leave here with the hurt feelings, um, I don't care. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Uh, you can always email me. Uh, I learned this from a different pastor at jimmycrackcornandidontcare.com. So... Because everything I'm telling you, I got out of here, all right? So you should pick it up and read it sometimes. It's an all-time bestseller. It's also one of the least read books around. You should pick it up. You should get to know it, store it in your heart. It's really good. It's more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. It's really, really good. And the Bible talks a lot about being in the body of Christ. And, and I, I think we've all heard some type of argument about people being Christians and not wanting to go to church, Right? And not one of them holds up against scripture, as we're going to see. And it's things like, I like God, I just don't like the church. The church, the body of believers, are the body of Christ. God is the head of the church. Okay? So I dare you. I double dog dare you. I triple dog dare you. Go up to a woman, your wife, your mother, your girlfriend, and say that you love their face but you hate their body. And I want you to report back to me how that happened. Go up to them and say, man, your face is beautiful, but your body makes me want to vomit. Good luck with that, Scooter. Now, some of the other arguments kind of just make me chuckle. Like, church is full of hypocrites. Like, yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Like, whole point is we need a savior. Like, church isn't a place for the perfect. It's a place for the needy. We're in need of a savior. All right. And some of them are just plain dumb. Like I'd rather be sitting on a boat fishing, thinking about God than sitting in a pew thinking about fishing. You ever heard this? Anybody? Man, that's dumb. You know, Christians who come out, it's the people who are like Christian, like nominal Christians who come out like once in a blue moon, like you'll see them for Christmas, you'll see them for Easter. I call them creasters. They went to church when they were little. They repeated a prayer. They got dunked. They got their get out of hell free card and they can just go live their lives and they don't have to bother coming to church because what's the point anymore? Because I'm saved now. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. And I don't need it anymore. And the best thing about these folks is they'll tell you about Jesus and what he would do nowadays in 2022 and what he wouldn't do in 2022, but they can't tell you what he would do in the four gospels. Okay. So nominal Christianity is the biggest threat to having a real relationship with the Lord. Because nominal Christianity is all about self-convenience and thinking whatever they do is in line with God. And a God that never conflict, uh, convicts you is a God that is not God of the Bible. It is an idol you made up to make yourself feel better about yourself. So good luck with that one. So the I'd rather be fishing folks are really saying is church is boring. And I'd rather be doing something fun. And if you think making much of God is boring, you're really going to hate heaven. Because the main point of heaven is not getting to see your loved ones again. You don't get to become a fat little baby with angel wings and seeing your pets again because that's not heaven. 
Now you may see your loved ones again if they believed in Jesus Christ and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. You don't get wings. I don't know where we got that dumb theology from, but it ain't in the book. And you don't get your theology from all dogs go to heaven. If you have more questions about that, please see Pastor Michael. Now, don't get me wrong, though. I do like fishing. It's like ocean way yoga. All right, you get to relax, right? And you also get to kill something at the same time. It's the best of both worlds. I'm pro-fishing. I am not, however, going to put sitting on a boat in front of being in the house of the Lord. Okay? If you can't focus on worshiping God when you're in these four walls, then you are missing the entire point of being here. It's all worship. When we sing songs to make much of him, it's worship. It's just not Christian karaoke. And it's supposed to be a joyous thing. And some of y'all need to work on that joyous thing part. Hands in your pocket looking like you're sucking on sour grapes. We need to work on that. You need to get a posture of worship. See, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on, do it. Everybody, see, you're all capable of doing it. All right? Well, most of y'all are capable of doing it. I noticed who didn't raise their hands. All right? And you make much of the Lord. This message... Also a form of worship, unless you're like doodling or falling asleep or just not paying attention. All right. See, God specifically created the local church for his body to gather and worship him. It is a place for us to worship, and it's also a place for us to gather in fellowship among believers, which is why we have things like Sunday night gatherings, tonight at 6 p.m., or we gather together and watch movies, and that's just all this weekend. Like We provide opportunities for us to be around, spend time with, get to know with our brothers and sisters in the faith while making much of him. And I'm not saying, like, the saying of fishing's dumb. I think it's kind of a clever saying. I'm, I'm just saying you're dumb. Okay? And me too, man. Me too. Like, Pastor Matt Chandler lovingly calls it the cul-de-sac of stupidity. Okay? This idea that we can get true satisfaction outside of our relationship with the Lord. It never works, but we go back to it over and over and over again. And as we're going to see, to be in right relationship with the Lord means you have to actually be a part of the body. Okay? And God gave us the local church to be part of his body, to do his mission, to be his hands and feet. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31 together. So if you're willing, I would ask that, or I would ask that you stand if you are able and willing, or you can stand in your hearts either way. But we're going to read 12 through 31. And starting in verse 12, and these are the words of Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. From one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body they, we, uh, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, may you be honored and glorified in this time. May we see a real need first, Lord, for salvation in you and you alone. And if we've made that step of obedience, Lord, may we see the need to be in this your church. Lord, may you be glorified and honored through it all. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. You may be seated. Now, A.W. Tozer simply stated, in the world created by God, nothing exists without meaning and purpose. That includes every one of us. We have a role to play, and you can't play that role on the sidelines or hating that someone has a role that you won't. Now, not right now doesn't necessarily mean not forever, but what Paul is trying to get across to the church in Corinth is that they all have a role to play. He is using the metaphor of the human body to get across that we all have a role to play when it comes to being a part of the work to be done for the kingdom of God. And what I want us to first see, we're going to see two truths in our time together. The first one is Christians are to be a part of the local church. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We all play a role in this local church as body of believers. We have members who faithfully give, faithfully serve this church in a lot of different areas. We have the food pantry, VBS, missions, children's church, life groups, made for movement, widow's ministry, sewing ministry, college and career, youth ministry, Lord's Harvest Festival. And if I forgot any, I apologize. Those are just a few of the groups and or events that members can faithfully serve this church for the kingdom of God. Okay, Biblically, biblically speaking, followers of Christ are not church avoiders or attenders, hoppers or shoppers. All right, biblically, followers of Christ are church members. Church members, not pew sitters. That is a very important distinction in that. A church member is someone who actively participates in church. And I know some of you are sitting here this morning and are not church members. You're not members of this church and you're not members of any church. And I want to say to you, very kindly and very compassionately that you are living outside of God's design for your life because part of God's design for your life is being part of the body of Christ. Followers of Christ are not church avoiders. Trying to live the Christian life as the Lone Ranger does not work. You are not an island, Gilligan, and you cannot successfully be an island and a Christian at the same time. While being able to watch church online is a fantastic and wonderful resource, and for some it is very necessary for them to hear God's word, that's the only way that they can get it, it was never intended to be a replacement for the church. Okay? If you can be at church, you should be at church. Laziness is not a biblical attribute. Wanting to stay in your PJs is not a valid excuse. Because I've watched church online out of necessity. And what ends up happening is you start doing other things while the worship music is going on. You end up playing on your phone while the preacher is preaching. You are not engaged with what is going on during the service. And you are not putting in intentional time of worship with the only thing worth worshiping. 
And that is missing the whole point. Church is not something you just did and get the check mark off the box. Like, listen to the preacher today. Check. Like, it's not, God isn't Santa Claus. He's not making a list. He's not checking it twice. He's not seeing what good and bad you already did. I got news for you. You're all on the bad list. All right? If you looked at the list without Jesus in your life, every one of our names, bad list, hell. And then there, is, there isn't a thing we can do outside of ourselves to change that. However, if we looked on the good list, it would say Jesus. And I got some really good news. If you're dead to sin and alive in Christ, then your name follows under Jesus. So you're technically on the good list and your bad and has been erased. That's pretty cool if you ask me. Praise the Lord for that. And some of y'all might be thinking that's not fair. Again, fair is not a biblical attribute. Okay? There are two things my father has said over and over and over in the years. And one is if you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. I heard that one a lot. The second one was, who said life was fair? Now, the, the youth have been blessed to hear my little rant on this, and I'm going to do it one more time just for y'all. It has to do with an ATT commercial. There's a stupid AT&T. I hate this commercial. I loathe this commercial. Because what ends up happening, this little family goes into the AT&T store, and that little girl goes up there, and there's this cute little girl, all big-eyed, and she gets a lollipop. Right, little little sucker, right? And she's all excited, and it's a this nice little lollipop. And she didn't she didn't do anything to earn this lollipop. She did not do anything. She's not even paying the ATT bill. Okay, like her parents are paying this bill, and she just walked in the store and got a lollipop. That is a that's grace. That is a picture of grace in our lives. Like God freely gives us something. Same with this little girl. But then this lady pulls out a bigger lollipop and gives it to her brother. And then she has the audacity to go, that's not fair. And I don't understand why she thinks that's okay. Like, if you want fair, you don't deserve a lollipop at all. You don't get to have a lollipop. That's fair. Fair is you paying your own phone bill, you little turd. All right? That's what fair is. You want fair? You want, you want fair? Go to hell. That's what fair is. Fair is hell. You don't want fair. You want Jesus. Because Jesus ain't fair. Jesus is the only way. I hate that commercial. Okay? I'm going to move away from the commercial now because it's getting my blood pressure up. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, now, not all you're thinking about the AT&T commercial, but if you're thinking about the church, you might be thinking, is church membership really biblical? The Bible nowhere even mentions church membership for Christians. You might be thinking that. You'd be wrong, but you'd be thinking it. According to Scripture, as followers of Christ, we are parts of a church body. That is what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. This imagery of the church as a body of which we are all parts or members. In the passage we just read, Paul refers to at least ten times to Christians as members of a body. That is why we use the term members. Because it, just about better than any other word, sums up the parts we play in the body of Christ. As followers of Christ, we belong to a church gathering. The primary word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia which literally means gathering. And yes, there are times in the New Testament where um, it refers to all Christians gathered together as kind of the universal church. But most of the time, this word church appears in the New Testament. It's referring to a specific gathering of Christians in a particular place. Out of the 114 times we see ecclesia in the New Testament, at least 90 of them 
refer to a specific logical gathering of believers. Like Acts 11.22 talks about how a report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That is a specific reference to the gathering of believers in Jerusalem. This letter that we're reading this morning, 1 Corinthians, was a letter to a specific local gathering of believers. It starts by Paul saying to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We see reference to the global, universal body of Christ, but this letter was written to the specific local gathering of Christians in Corinth. Now, just before this book, at the end of Romans, Paul references a church that meets in Presca and Aquila's house. Romans 16.5, it says, greet also the church in their house. That is a specific reference to a local gathering of church believers. At the end of 1 Corinthians, just a few chapters after uh, 12, Paul says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. So Aquila and Presca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 16.9, or 19. So there you have a reference to specific gatherings of believers in Asia, and then again, a reference to a church meeting in a house. Okay, the picture we have in scripture over and over and over again is of local gatherings of believers in particular places called churches. When a follower of Christ reads the New Testament, you and I should immediately ask the question, what specific gathering of believers in what particular place am I a part of? Am I a member of? If Paul were writing a letter to you in 2022, which local body of believers would you be identified with? Because we should not be at one church and just hop around until we find one that we kind of like. Okay, we don't church hop. You don't just keep bouncing around like a bunny. Like, look at Hebrews 13 with me if you have your Bibles. Listen to what it says. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and those who will, and those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, that's a really tough verse to preach on as a pastor. It sounds pretty self-serving. I'm a student pastor, and when I was preparing this message, I was led to this verse, and my mom was like, Pastor Micah needs to use this verse a little more often. Obey your leaders and to cement your authority. I'm like, you drill that into their heads, and you just do what you want around here. It seems like a pastor or church leader could use this verse to like rule with an iron fist over his congregation. But listen to that second part of this verse. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Did you catch that? The pastor will stand before God to give an account for the people he had. So that begs the question, who does a pastor give account for? Do, do pastors give an account for every believer in the universal body of Christ around the world? No, pastors are accountable to God, along with other pastors here, for every member of this local church. In Acts 20, 2018, or 2028, excuse me, the Bible says elders and pastors are responsible for caring for the flock entrusted to them. 1 Peter 5 says the pastors are shepherds of God's flock that is under their care. The Bible makes clear that elders and pastors have a responsibility for a particular group of God's people. Now we're seeing why so many are so uncomfortable with church membership, obeying with submitting to leaders, leaders before God to give an account for members. This is heavy stuff for members and pastors alike, and it's uncomfortable. But I'm not the one who came up with this. 
This is not my design. This was God's design for the church and for us to be in relationship with one another. We are called to be part of a local church. That then leads to the second truth I want us to consider this morning. Also based on a picture in 1 Corinthians 12 as members of the body. The church is not just pew sitters. We are a fellowship of disciple makers. 1 Corinthians 12 makes clear that as the body of Christ, even a local body of Christ, we are all representing different parts of or members of the body. We have different skills, gifts, personalities. We're unique, right? The hand, the feet, the, hand, uh, the eyes, etc. But we come together in one body, and together we have a mission to accomplish in this world. And this mission involves every single one of us who declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just as every single part of your body is important, every single member of this body is important. Now think about that. At this moment, we are surrounded by people who we know, who we love, who we work with, who we eat with, who we play with, who do not know Jesus Christ and are on a road to eternal hell, a literal eternal hell. We live in the third most populated country in the world behind India and China, and we're also third behind them in the most number of unreached people groups in one country. We live in a world where nearly 2 billion people still, have, or still don't have access to the gospel, not to mention the other two to three other billion people who have access to the gospel but haven't even discovered it yet or received it yet. If this is the situation in the city, country, and world around us, then who among us can sit on the sidelines as a spectator in this mission? God has not saved you to sideline you. He has saved you, Christian, and every single Christian. He has saved you to send you out into the city and into the nations to tell the good news that Jesus Christ has lived the life you could not live. He died the death we deserved to die, and he conquered the enemy we cannot conquer. And he has risen from the grave, and everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him will be reconciled to God forever. Amen. I like that you're paying attention. And he may not even go that far out into the city. Do you realize... Do you realize that there are no grandchildren in heaven? Do you realize there are no grandchildren in heaven? You are either a child of God or you are not. Your children and your children's children are not getting into the kingdom of God because of your faith. They can't hang on to your coattails on this one. Either they follow and love the Lord or they don't. And that realization should really wake up a few of us. Because do you want your children to spend an eternity... In hell. Do you want your grandchildren to spend an eternity in hell? You got children or grandchildren who spend more time at a ballpark than they do at church. You got children or grandchildren who spend more time at a dance studio than church. You got children and grandchildren who spend more time at the beach than they do church. And I know, I know, I know that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I agree. But the likelihood of me becoming a Bible-believing Christian is vastly improved when I'm actually at the place where God calls a Christian to be. And if you want to be a football player, let's use this analogy. If you want to be a football player, you actually got to be around football, like on the field. Sitting around your house and watching football on occasion doesn't put you on the field, doesn't make you a football player. Going to a game every once in a while doesn't make you a football player. Going to practice and being around other players and learning from coaches greatly improves your chances of being a football player. What do you think it's going to do in the Christian's life? Or a child's life when they're around Christians more and more and more. And they're being t given truth. Talk to them each and every time they come to the building. Crazy logic I'm throwing at y'all this morning. Every single Christian is on earth to proclaim Jesus. Every single one. No spectators. 
Get in the game, EA Sports. So we make disciples in the church, but we also grow in the church. Far too long in the church, we have assumed that growing in Christ simply meant attending Bible studies and going to worship and living nice, clean lives. I'm not saying that those things are bad. They are all good. We need to study the Bible. We need to worship. We need to be pure. But if all these things, which they often are, are disconnected from making disciples of Jesus, leading other people to become disciples of Jesus, then we are missing the point entirely on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Amen! I'll amen myself because I'm fire preaching right now and y'all are just sitting there. The gospel should not stop us, but it should be passed to someone else through us. Think about it in scripture. From the very beginning, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 4, 9, follow me and I will make you fisher of men. Not sitting on a boat thinking about God when you should be in the body of Christ. Every follower should be a fisher, not fishing for men over the lake, but spreading the gospel all over the world. Then you get to the end of Matthew and Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples. He tells them in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You have power from the Holy Spirit in you, not just so that you can go to Bible studies and worship and be a kind person. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you so that you will be a witness, so that you will testify about Christ to the ends of the earth. God did not save you so you could dwell in a Christian bubble. This isn't a Christian safe place. Okay? You're not some unique little snowflake. You're not a Skittle or whatever dumb terminology your kindergarten teacher told you to make you feel important. You don't need a safe place to get away from the big bad world. This is a place to equip the saints to be the hands and feet of God. God has saved you to spread the Christian gospel in the city and to the ends of the earth. And put all this together. Every child, every student, Every man, woman who is a member of this church, followers of Christ, we are members of a church. And the church is not an audience of spectators, but a fellowship of disciple makers. So I want to ask every single member of this church this morning, how will you make a disciple as a church member for the rest of 22? We are almost halfway through this year already. Hard to believe. How will you make disciples as a member of this church for the rest of the year? Because we must not ask, because I'm saying we need to, but because this is who we are. This is what we are literally created for. This is what we've been commissioned by God to do as a church. This is what we are compelled to do as Christians, to all be disciples who make disciples so that the grace and love of God are spread all over the world through us. Do you see the potential that I'm talking about? What if every member of this church was making disciples? Some people think that's probably too idealistic. But if it is, then what are we doing here? This is who we are. If every believer brought just one more person to Jesus, what would that do to this church? What would that do to this community? What would it do to this city? We are saved by his grace. We live for his glory. We want people to know the gospel of God, don't we? This is what it means to be a church, First Baptist Church Ocean Way. This is what it means to be a member of the church. It means to make disciples. And I know you may be tempted to think, I don't know if I can make disciples. If that's you, then I want to encourage you. You can't. And that is the whole point. God, Almighty God, has put His Holy Spirit in you. He has saved you from your sins 
forever. He has casted them as far as the east is to the west. And he has equipped you, empowered you to do that, which you could never do on your own. That's the whole point of Christianity. He has not saved you to sit on the sidelines to do what you're capable of doing. He has saved you to live on the front lines and experience what he alone is capable of doing. Throughout the week, I want you to consider a few questions. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. And the first one is this. How will I find, how will I fill my mind with truth? How will I fill my mind with truth? Maybe commit to memorizing a verse a week. Every week, we put on the back of the bulletin, we have a memory verse for the week. Maybe start there. We say it together at the end of the next week. Maybe you can start by memorizing that one, and maybe that will lead to more and more. We store up scripture so we may not sin against him. So how will you memorize God's word? Then, how will I learn God's word from others? How am I going to expose, how are you going to expose yourself to teaching God's word this year? Are you going to regularly worship, are you attending regular worship gatherings? Are you in small group? Are there other potential means like books and podcasts and all the things? What is your plan for consistently learning God's word from others? And remember, the goal of all this is not just to gain information, but to experience transformation. Okay, we want to hear the truth of God's word, and we want to apply to experience the truth of God's word. So how will you fill your mind with truth? And then how will I fuel my affections for God? Even as I'm encouraging you to ask these questions, I realize that if we're not careful, even Bible reading can become mechanical and we can start just checking off boxes. That's not the point. That is not the point. Our goal is not just to know God. Our goal is to love God. What will you do this year to fuel affections, to stroke the fires of passion for God? See, how will I worship in all of life? How will you intentionally work to live for the glory of God? As a member of the church, will you commit to prioritizing weekly worship more than weekend sports or other weekend activities that would keep you from worship? Even as a family, fathers, heads of households, or singles with your friends, will you commit to gathering with the church during the midweek service or the main service, the Sunday service? What is going to change? Will you spend time having a family worship time inside your home? And then how will you pray? When will your time be where you will be in a place and you'll go into a room, you'll shut the door, you'll put the phone away, and you pray to your father who is unseen? You set time in a place aside, this one practice alone will revolutionize your life, I promise you. Then how will I share God's love as a witness in the world? How will I share God's love as a witness in the world? First, who? Who has God put in your life, in your area of influence, who does not know Jesus? We all know someone who doesn't know the Lord. And I want to encourage you to write down the name of that one person whom you know who doesn't know Jesus and that, they, that you are going to intentionally pray for, and you are going to seek opportunities to share the gospel with them. And then you're going to invite them to church and let God do what he always does. See, church, let's pray that God would use each of us to lead one other person to Christ, and just think about that. That is a prayer you and I know God wants to answer. So let's ask and let's play and let's plan and work towards that end. But then I also want to ask, how will I share God's love as a witness in the world? How will I show God's love as a member of this church? We've obviously talked about that a good bit this morning. But I want to encourage you on two specific areas. First, where? 
Meaning, first of all, if you don't have a church where you are a member, you got to decide where that church is and join that church. Then, within that church, identify where this picture of biblical community that we've talked about is going to play out. Here at FBCO, the prim that primarily happens, I believe, in life groups. And if you have questions about life groups, come to me or Pastor Micah or Brother Curtis, uh, Miss Ann. Um, there's a ton of people that you can reach out to at the end of the service, during the altar call, or after the service, and we would love to have that conversation with you about that. Another unique opportunity we have is men's discipleship groups and the ladies' Bible study. That involves going deeper in the Word and sharing life with others inside those, that group. The men's discipleship group is one of my favorite parts of the week. Okay, I was expecting an amen from Brother uh, Pastor Mike or Brother Dave, but that's cool. I don't like hanging out with y'all either. It's fine. It's too late for that. It's too late. It's one of my favorite parts of the week in all reality, and I would encourage any man in here that if you want to grow your relationship with God and in fellowship with each other, reach out to Pastor Micah or myself or Pastor Mike or Brother Dave or Brother Robert or Brother Joe. Brother Steve's in the first service. You don't count. So reach out to him because we, we want to grow as a church. We want to grow in knowledge of him and in fellowship with one another. And if you have any questions about the women's Bible studies, Please have a conversation with Mindy Gardepi. I'm obviously not a female, so I don't know what goes on there, but I imagine it's the same premise. And they probably talk nicer than Brother Steve. Um, so where are you going to plug into in this biblical community? And then what? Once you plug in, then what? What are the specific ways you are going to serve the brothers and sisters around you? What is church membership and action going to look like in your life with your brothers and sisters around you? Now bring all this back down to a much simpler question. How will I make disciple makers among a few people? Jesus, more than anyone else who has ever lived or whoever will live, was most passionate about the Father's glory among all nations. And what he did with his life is he poured his life into a few people. That's all he did. He poured into his disciples. So how can you do the same this year? Think about, think through these questions. How will I bring them in? And who is the one person that God has put in your life and your area of influence that you can lead to make disciples this year? Who are the people you can invite to spend intentional time with you this year for the express purpose of growing in Christ together? And then ask, how can I teach them to obey? That is what's involved in disciple making, teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. How will you do that? Will you read through a portion of the Bible together? Pastor Micah started me off with Multiply by Francis Chan and David Platt. Now we're doing some light reading called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. He talks so much to say something so simple. The pastor started discipling me, and he hasn't stopped. It's been six years now, and it's up to six men, so that's one a year. I pray that some men in this room are being convicted by the Holy Spirit to increase that number. Or maybe you'll do something totally different. But ultimately, how will you teach them to obey? And finally, how will I send them out? The goal is not just to have another Bible study group here. The goal is to make disciples. To spend your life multiplying the gospel in such a way that you help equip, empower, and embolden the people around you to start making disciples as well. 
These are the questions I want to leave you with. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I believe that these are essential questions. And I want to challenge every single member of this church to ask and answer these questions together throughout the month of June. No spectators, no one on the sidelines. Let's do this together. Who but God knows what the ripple effects of all of us having personal disciple-making plans might have on the rest of this year and upcoming years. And who can imagine what happens when disciples of Jesus start getting serious about making disciples of Jesus here and around the world. But won't you go ahead and stand with me as we pray and we start this time of invitation. If you have any questions, if you have any concerns, any doubts, if you want to pray, or most importantly, if you're ready to take that first step of obedience and surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus, then right now is your time. We're going to pray, and then I pray that you respond to the Holy Spirit, whatever he is calling you to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this, your church, that you called us to be a local church for the good of your, for the good of you, for the good of who you are, that you want us to be parts of the hands and feet of the universal church, that you have given us the great commission, Lord, to make disciples who make disciples, and we can start right here in our own community. Lord, if there's anyone in here that does not have a real and personal relationship with you, Lord, may today be the day of salvation. May they come to know you in a real and personal way. Lord, if there's people in here that don't have a church, Lord, may they be in right relationship with you and become church members, whether it's here or another local body. Lord, but use them, speak to them, guide them. Lord, and we ask that you continue to use this, your church, for your honor and your glory. May you have it all. We love you, Jesus. Amen.